Blomcast. Turning Points in History. Wendepunkte in der Geschichte. Hello and welcome to the fourth episode of the Blomcast looking at changing points in history. I'm Philip Blom, I'm an historian and in the first three episodes I looked at the so-called Little Ice Age and its impact on culture and civilization. And that brought us into the 18th century. So I thought it would be fun to look a little bit ahead today and look at how the Enlightenment saw its own future, its own turning role as a turning point in history, and to look at enlightened utopias and their splendor and also their terrible... Um, their terrible shady side, their, the abyss that they opened up. But let us start with something relatively innocuous, an illustration from the great Encyclopédie by Diderot and d'Alembert. This Encyclopédie wasn't any old encyclopedia. It was not only a vast compendium of information, the Wikipedia of its age, It was much more than that, and it was also, but because it was also an ideological engine to change the world. It was an encyclopedia that was not interested in kings and princes, in bishops and popes, but it was interested in crafts, in useful things, in tools, in how you make things, in how you can be useful for society as a craftsman, as a tradesman, as a manufacturer, as a thinker, as an artist, as whatever you do, do it usefully. And the Encyclopédie encountered vast obstacles and it took more than 20 years to get it published and its um, editor Denis Diderot spent time in prison while he was doing it but in the end it was a triumph 17 volumes of texts and 11 volumes of illustrations and from these 11 volumes is taken this fire pump la pompe à feu and what we see here is a building um, cut right through in the middle so that you can look inside and you see there is a sort of furnace. It is um, heated by fire from underneath. There's water. Um, vapor is produced. It rises into a sort of cylinder and there with a chain is attached an arm that is a moving arm and that arm moves up and down. Um, you can read the detailed illustrations in the Encyclopédie. You see that there are many little letters attached to the details they're all lovingly described and the authors of the encyclopedie remark with great satisfaction that this useful invention um, is utilized to pump water out of several um, mines in eastern france um, to pump the groundwater out now this is a perfect example of the kind of useful thing that the encyclopedia liked. It is also a perfect example of how the authors thought, because apart from the usefulness and their general approval of this thing, what really interested them was the fact that, well, this thing produces warmth, 
and movement. And according to René Descartes, um, an Enlightenment philosopher who lived a hundred years earlier in the 17th century, according to René Descartes, animals are biological machines that do not have a personality, that do not have feelings, that do not have a character, but they are only machines that produce warmth and movement. So, the authors of the encyclopedia ask if that is so is this thing then an animal because it also produces warmth and movement and it's after all only just a thing the authors don't really expect a question to this answer it's just a little intellectual game that they play they amuse themselves with that and they don't really see that the fire pump is useful for very much else Now, the utopian energy in this encyclopedia is really palpable. You can feel the will to change the world, to change the general way of thinking. And if you compare that with today, you really have to ask, what happened to that utopian energy? Why can't we think in a utopian way anymore? How is it not possible in times of climate catastrophe, of collapsing biodiversity, of wars again raging in Europe? How is it possible to think in a utopian way then? Have we ended all utopias? And especially, what went so terribly wrong with the fantastic enlightened utopias that so many enlighteners sketched and um, made their business? Because there were ideas about beautiful republics of virtue where everybody lived equally and everybody lived in solidarity with everybody else and nobody needed to be oppressed and there needed to be no coercion and everybody had enough to eat and everybody educated themselves and helped to run the common the common cause and helped to promote the common good and We have to ask what happened to that, and what happened to that is simple. Every thinker who tried and every politician who tried to implement this, well, we live in parts of this implementation today, but those who tried to implement it to the letter, well, they were the French revolutionaries during the terror. They were the Bolsheviks in the Soviet Union. They were Pol Pot in Cambodia. There were Chairman Mao with the Great Leap Forward and the Cultural Revolution. All these were the great apostles of Enlightenment thinking and Enlightened Utopia. And it's really created nothing than incredible suffering and a lot of blood. And there has been no enlightened society that is run entirely according to enlightened precepts. So How could that happen? Now, I think, first of all, to understand this, we need to give a little bit of historical context and see when the real rush of utopian enlightened thinking came in the 17th and 18th century. It was a time of possibility. It was a time when things had become possible or seemed to be possible that hadn't been possible before. It was the time in Europe after a century of religious war, after the Thirty Years' War that had just ended in 1648, and with it the fact that Europe was now split into a Catholic and a Protestant part. 
never mind the orthodox part to the east, and that God's truth was now split in two, but that that also meant that individuals and communities could have more say about what they thought, how they worshipped, and perhaps even how they lived. In Britain, a king, Charles I, was executed, and this was a period in which all of a sudden things, also politically, things seemed suddenly possible that had never seemed possible before. With book printing, all of a sudden, education flourished and alphabetization, literacy, um, went through the roof compared to what it had been before. Um, the first science experiments and the first scientific theories to really be able to affect and explain natural processes also came from this time. It was a time that was really a beginning, a departure into something new. And here also you get the great utopian energy. You get the energy sometimes in a very skeptical way. If you look at Thomas Hobbes, who basically wants to wants to save us from ourselves. But um, you often get utopias in ways that perhaps we wouldn't see them today. You get them in travel literature quite a lot, funnily, because, um, of course, people wrote under censorship. They couldn't openly criticize their own societies and say how they thought that certain aspects of them were unreasonable, but they could criticize other societies or they could even better show societies that were perfect and reasonable and virtuous and Montesquieu did that in his Lettre Persane, but also Voltaire did that. Um, Rousseau did something very similar, although he is not really a, an enlightener. Rousseau really distrusted reason and culture, and Rousseau's utopia, which was so influential in, the, in history, was really the idea of a return to a pre-civilized state the idea of leaving civilization that is corrupting to the core behind you in order to find an idea of simplicity and virtue in the forest, in a simple agrarian world and civilization. But then, of course, there were also the great idealists. There was Immanuel Kant, there was Helvetius, there was Condorcet, who all thought about some world government, about some great republic of virtue in which people could finally live just and equal and educated lives. And then there were the, shall we say, the darker enlighteners like Diderot and Lametrie, who showed worlds that were not, where reason and the sentiments, reason and the passion were not opposed to each other, because either, as in Diderot, the passions were suddenly no longer connected to guilt and shame, or as in Lametrie, um, morality itself broke down, because as Lametrie said, we are only machines ourselves. But However you look at the world people wanted to build, you see that there was ferment, there was a great idealism, and this idealism has not survived the next two and a half centuries that intervened, two and a half centuries of ideological and political experiments to bring about some of these utopias. So what was wrong with these utopias? Who is against living in a virtuous society where everybody has enough to eat? Why couldn't that have worked? Well, I think 
that the fire pump, funnily enough, gives us already a partial answer to that. Because, as you will by now have realized, this fire pump was in reality one of the first steam engines. And the most scientifically literate people of their day stared at this early steam engine and they only saw a pump that could be quite useful in a few mines in um, eastern France to pump out some water. But they did not see that they were looking at the technology that would completely transform their societies and make all their own visions of the future redundant because they only thought of a future for an agrarian society. They could not understand the transformation between an agrarian and an industrial society. A society no longer built on land wealth but on capital. A society with a working class. A society with a whole industrial base and with industrial capital. None of that was visible to the enlighteners. And so the utopias they sketched out were agrarian utopias for a life in simplicity, but not the kind of utopias that can be perhaps realized, um, or even the utopian energies that can be realized in an industrial world. That is the first thing I think that spoke against it. The second thing is also embodied in this illustration, in this perfect, mechanical, clean depiction of something very useful, because it is the mechanical worldview, the world, the worldview that says that the entire world, after all, is only a clockwork, and we are only little cogs in this gigantic mechanism. And anyway, we ourselves are mechanistic, and we can be improved out of sight by clever engineering, by clever ideas. We can be changed and we can be made to fit utopia. Because utopia has always been thought in the way that first an ideal society is designed and then people are educated and cut to size to fit into this society. Utopias have not often been thought from people um, as the point of departure. The people have always been almost incidental in this great and perfect picture. The first person in the history of the Enlightenment to try to rethink an enlightened utopia in terms of industrial society, in terms of industrial modernity, was, I believe, Karl Marx, who had a crack at creating a new society a society that has also never yet led to universal happiness. Perhaps the problem is not so much with the kind of utopias that were proposed, but with the idea of utopia itself, the idea that people really need to be saved from themselves, that they need to be transformed, that they need to be improved, that history is striving towards some sort of inevitable goal, towards the shining city on the hill, towards a new Jerusalem that we only have to realize. Perhaps the problem is in this otherworldly and quite religious assumption and approach to history. And Perhaps utopias are simply unrealizable, but if we are thinking 
about utopias. I think there's one thing that has become quite clear also from this fire pump, that is that it is impossible to encounter and deal with the challenges of the future with the thinking of the past. As John Maynard Keynes said, the problem is not finding new ideas, the problem is getting rid of the old ones. And perhaps the 18th century and the thinkers of the 18th century were not alone in not realizing what was staring them in the face, not realizing the transformative potential of the developments they were witnessing. And so my question to you is really, what do you think is our fire pump? What is the technology or the idea or the social practice or the economic model, whatever it may be that we already know that is staring us in the face and whose potential we do not yet realize. Is it cold fusion? Is it artificial intelligence? Is it the internet? Or is it something completely different? What do we not realize about ourselves? And what could help us to get a step further and to realize a little bit more? What is our fire pump? Write to me, write me a reply under this video, or if you have listened to it in audio, send me a message, get in touch with me, talk to me about the fire pump that we are missing. You can also subscribe to this podcast, you can like it, that helps me and I will thank you for it. And you can listen again when I put the fifth episode online, which will be not long now. So thank you for listening and I hope you check back in soon. Philip Blom says goodbye.